following podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. If you have your Bibles, let's open them up this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I suppose it was because it was following last weekend's Resurrection Weekend, the Daily Bread devotional, one of them this past week, earlier in the week, shared this story. He said, five-year-old Wyatt, who was buckled up in the back seat, had a question for his dad. Daddy, he said, when Jesus brings us back to life, are we going to be really alive? Or will it just be in our heads? (laughs) Five years old. (laughs) For some things, we have more questions than answers. And then even our answers (laughs) can lead to even more questions. (laughs) The biblical teaching concerning the resurrection of our bodies is one of those issues. (laughs) In case you hadn't noticed that. For example, and these are things that folks come up with. For example, what about infants? Will they be resurrected as babies or as adults? Who thinks up stuff like that? What happens to the bodies of those who have been cremated or dismembered by an explosion or lost? out at sea. What about, this is an interesting one, transplant recipients. (laughs) What happens to their new organs at the resurrection? That's kind of interesting, isn't it? How about this one? What happens if I'm standing on somebody's grave when the resurrection occurs? (laughs) What if we are at an open casket funeral? (laughs) Most of these questions stem from a lack of knowledge of what the Bible says about resurrection. Scripture really does provide for us in simple yet profound ways answers to the most important questions that we could ask with regards to life and death and resurrection. It doesn't attempt to respond to all of our yeah buts, nor does it respond to our crazy far-fetched hypotheticals. Now, since our bodies rot, decay, and decompose. Aren't you glad you came tonight? (laughs) Some people wonder how resurrection is even possible because of what our body does do once it's been placed into the ground, right? Besides, besides, who even wants their decomposed bodies to be raised (laughs) from the dead? So in order to clarify, Paul provides some word picture sketches and a few various contrasts 
to illustrate what our future bodies will be like. And so his first sketch is found in verse 35 is where we have left off from last week is he likens our bodies to seeds, okay? Look at verse 35 and 36 with me. It says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? In other words, you know, come forth with, come out of the, the grave with. And then he says, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. I want you to just notice that a key word in this passage is that we're going to see, I counted in my Bible between verses 35 and 44, the word body, a key word here, appears 11 times between verses 35 and 44. Not at all in the first half of chapter 15, not once. 11 times in this passage right here. And so Paul likens our bodies to seeds. Now, let me remind you what Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 20 reveals about what happens to our physical bodies when we die. It says, all go to the same place, all come from dust, all return to dust. Paul responds to the questions that he's been given as we have just read in these two verses, how are the dead raised and with what kind of body do they come? And he, he responds to that, I think, in somewhat of a rebuking kind of way when he says, how silly, how foolish are his words. When it comes to the miracle of the resurrection of the dead, asking how God is able to do something reveals either a lack of understanding, or a complete absence of faith in God's almighty powerfulness. God can do whatever he pleases, right? In fact, Jesus taught us that in Matthew 19, verse 26, when he says, with God, all things are? Very good. We know that, don't we? Now, look at verses 37 and 38 with me. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives it its own body. The resurrection isn't simply mortal life, resuscitated, nor is it a weird scene from some zombie movie, okay? The connection between the mortal body and the resurrected body, however, is very, very real. Just as the relationship between a seed and the plant that sprouts from the ground is real. You see what Paul is doing. I love this. He says, look at nature. Look at what you see and, and enjoy and look at and maybe even take for granted most of the time the beautiful flowers and plants all around us that were just a seed at one time. Look at what they've become. And that's what Paul is saying here. Yet the seed itself disappears, right? Absorbed into the new reality of the plant, 
which looks completely different <laughs> from the seed. Paul makes an important point, and that is this, the resurrection is not reconstruction. Nowhere does the Bible teach that at the resurrection, God will put together our old pieces from our mortal bodies. <laughs> Aren't you glad? Yeah. He's not, that's not what he's going to do. When you plant a seed, you don't expect to see the seed that you planted break through the ground and come up, right? No, you expect a plant. You expect a flower to come forth. The seed dies, but from that death, there comes life. And what comes up is typically, aren't you glad, a whole lot more beautiful <laughs> than what got planted. If at the resurrection, all God did was to put us back together again, well, there would be absolutely no improvement in that. So Paul says the same thing we observe in nature. You plant tomato seeds, you don't get potatoes. When you plant an apple tree, you don't get peaches. The specific identity of the seed determines the identity of the plant. So far, so good, right? Yeah, we can track with that. Likewise, between our body that dies and is buried and the body that rises from the grave. Good news. You can smile about this. It's okay. <laughs> the body that rises from the grave will see something divinely different. Yeah, that's what I say. In other words... We will rise from the dead in a form that is distinctly and uniquely us. And the creative diversity in which God obviously takes great delight in continues to mark even resurrected people. That's amazing. You will still be you and I will still be me. But you will be a better you <laughs> and I will be a better me. To understand this even better, we can look to Jesus. Amen? The body that was buried on Friday stepped out of the grave, stepped out of the tomb on Sunday. But the mortal had been, Paul would later write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, had been swallowed up in life. Paul would later write that. Was, was Jesus' resurrected body, here's a question for us, the same as the body that was buried? Was Jesus' body that was buried the same as the one that was resurrected? You know what the answer is? Yes and no. It was completely the same in outward appearance, but completely different in physical quality not to mention attributes. <laughs> this means Jesus rose his body, rose in his body, not in somebody else's, right? 
The body that was buried was transformed into the body that was raised, not destroyed and not replaced. Paul's point is this. If God could do this with a seed that we plant into the ground, don't you think he has the power and the ability, you Corinthians and you folks at Wellspring of Life Church, 2022-2022, don't you think that God can do that with our bodies? And you know what? And when he does, because he can, it too will be a beautiful thing. Amen? The second word picture that Paul uses emphasizes the distinctiveness of our future bodies. Look at verse 39 as he talks about our flesh. Not all flesh is the same. Then he gives some example. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. In creation, God has carefully marked each species of animals with distinctions all their own. Correct? Look, look in this room. Each and every one of us, a distinction all our own. And, and Paul again is drawing from what we can see from nature and using that to illustrate the, the distinctiveness we see here and the difference we see here is going to be the same kind of difference that will take place between our mortal bodies now and resurrected bodies then. We too will continue to bear the distinguishing features. This is good news. I think this is pretty cool because it answers some questions that are out there that some folks have. Like, will I know anybody in heaven? Will my loved ones recognize me? Will I recognize them? This answers that. We will continue to bear the distinguishing features of our present bodies. For the purpose of what? Identity. For the purpose of diversity, the diversity we see here. Jesus' disciples, remember now, were able to recognize who he was after he rose from the grave. Amen? We were told that in John 20. That assures us that we will be recognizable to others. And yes, we will indeed be able to recognize our loved ones who had gone on before us. So what Paul is saying is, just as we see the differences in our bodies now and those in the animal kingdom, different fish, different birds, our resurrected bodies will be different from those that we have now. Again, good news, don't you think? So then if God is able to make different kinds of bodies for all of us, and for all the animals, and for all the birds, and all the fish, well then why can't he make a different kind of body for us at the resurrection? And so when we see him, the Bible says we what? We will be like him. Hallelujah. Oh, happy day that will be, amen? Paul's third word picture illustrates the diversity of our future bodies. Look at verses 40 through 41 with me. There are also heavenly bodies and there are, are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies, he's 
talking, we see what he's talking about, is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly body is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And stars differs from stars in splendor. Paul is noting the differences in glory <clears throat> in the universe among the heavenly bodies. The sun, the moon, and the stars, and the difference between them and the earthly bodies. By analogy, our future bodies will be different from our present earthly bodies. And the same, in the same way that no star shines the same, Paul is basically saying here, so each of us will have a distinct glory all our own in our resurrected bodies. I don't know exactly what my, my resurrected body will be like, but acknowledging God's creative power, it will be something spectacular. And so will yours. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11 expresses this fact. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet, they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. All of us who one day in our heavenly bodies will experience equality and condition of life far superior in glory to what we have experienced in these earthly tents. Hard for us to even imagine, isn't it? Because all we know is what we know in the here and now and in and we know pain, we know sickness, we know heartache in these tents. Paul is now going to add some color to the word pictures that he's been sketching through a series of contrasts between the body that died and the body that will be raised. Look at verse, verses 42 through first part of verse 44 with me. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead? The body that is sown is perishable in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Paul mentions four differences that believers that we can anticipate between our present mortal bodies and those that we will receive at the resurrection. First, mortal bodies are perishable, but resurrected bodies, Paul says, will be imperishable. Mortal bodies are subject to illness, correct? Death, but resurrected bodies will have no such problems. 
In heaven, it will be like no problema. Second, mortal bodies carry dishonor, but resurrected bodies carry glory. As you all know, since Adam's fall into sin back in the garden, all human beings have been born into a dishonorable existence. How's that for putting, we're all just lousy sinners, right? <laughs> We've all been born into a dishonorable existence where sin corrupts even our bodies. And Paul elaborates on it in Romans chapter 7. Resurrected bodies, however, will be glorious and awesome, no longer tainted by the presence or the power of sin. The word translated glory here is the Greek word doxa, means dignity and honor and praiseworthy and the glory will all belong to him. Amen? Not our own. Third, mortal bodies suffer weakness, but resurrected bodies will be filled with power. Now that should have been a big rousing amen from all you old folks in the building. <laughs> I have this picture in my mind from last Monday. We moved Moses, and it's just a bunch of old guys. Just a bunch of old guys. And when I left, here are half a dozen of them just passed out on the couch. <laughs> and the pizza hadn't even arrived yet. I don't know about you guys, but man, this is good news. Amen. This is like we'd be ready to move folks all day long. <laughs> But Kathy, we are glad you've got movers. <laughs> All of us have weaknesses, right? Whether we want to admit it or not, we've got them. We're all susceptible to fatigue, to injury, to foolish thinking, and even to moral failures. Faulty, frail, and declining in strength, and that's the present human condition, isn't it? Yet these weaknesses, I am glad to say, glad to report, will vanish and will be replaced with powerful, resurrected bodies. Again, I want to say, oh, happy day. <laughs> Fourth, mortal bodies are natural, but resurrected bodies will be spiritual. Christ's appearances in his resurrected body demonstrated that he, he continued to be physical and material, but this physicality had special characteristics, right? For example, he was able to appear suddenly, even in rooms with locked doors. Just kind of showed up. <laughs> and he was able to vanish just as quickly. At the same time, however, he was able to break bread, to eat fish, and to cook and to some, distribute some food. And people were able to touch him 
We find these sayings in not only Luke 24, but John chapter 20 as well. All of those are, are, are recorded for us there. And it's best to take the term spiritual as a reference to the Holy Spirit. In other words, believers' resurrected bodies will be spiritual because they will be fully transformed to be like our Lord's. And because they will be renewed by the Holy Spirit. Christ himself, the Bible tells us, was raised by the Spirit. And in the same way, the bodies of believers will be resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. When we are raised in our new bodies, Paul says we will be imperishable. I like that word, don't you? You know why? Because instead of winding down, we'll be revving up. Yeah. We'll better keep up with Dick Southwell after all. Amen. <laughs> instead of deteriorating, we'll be thriving. Instead of dying, we'll be eternally growing in our age ageless relationship with God and with each other. Hallelujah. Paul gives further clarification. Look at the rest of verse 44 with me. It says, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was out of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven, as was the earthly man. So are those who are of the earth, and is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Boy, that's some hope, isn't it? This means like the angels. Our resurrected bodies will be created and equipped for supernatural living for all eternity. And we're not even going to need a spacesuit <laughs> to live there for all that time. Paul says, just as surely as there are natural bodies, we see that. Folks, will you hear this? Let, this? let this just take root in your hearts just as much as we see living bodies touch now. Paul says, just as sure as that exists, you can know that there will be in our future when Jesus comes back for us a spiritual 
resurrected body. He is explaining how our natural physical bodies are like the first Adam, but our resurrected bodies will be like the spiritual second Adam, which is who? Jesus Christ, right? Adam and our Lord Jesus, did you, did you ever realize that they've got a few things in common? Their beginnings were both unique and sinless beginnings. But what they accomplished, obviously, <laughs> altogether different. Well, what does that look like? What does that mean? What will he do? Well, Philippians 3.21 tells us, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform, listen to this, our lowly bodies. But why? So that they will be like his glorious body. Our resurrected bodies will be spiritual because, look at verse 50 with me. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. This means our perishable physical bodies, once again, not suited for God's eternal kingdom. Since heaven is a spiritual place, it is impossible for our bodies of flesh and blood to go there. But there's good news, God will fix that. <laughs> this leads into what scholars refer to as the doctrine of the rapture. It appears that Paul is res either responding to the question, what about those who are alive in their mortal flesh and blood bodies at the return of Christ? He either is responding to that question that was sent to him, or he's anticipating that question when they get this letter. Either way. What's going to happen when Christ returns? Will they be kept out of the kingdom of God? Because they haven't died? You see, thus far, that's the only condition that Paul has provided, right? Seeds planted, dying and then coming back to life. Is that what Paul is saying? Well, let's read on. Verse 51. Listen. He says, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Paul reveals the mystery that solves the problem of what will happen to living saints when Jesus returns. He says, not all believers will sleep, 
And as you know, it's a biblical way of talking about dying. Not everybody will die physically prior to, the entering, to entering the kingdom of God. Yet all believers, Paul says, will be changed, transformed from their flesh and blood existence into an immortal form that will live forever and ever and ever. So whether you're underground or above ground, the outcome for the believer is the same, changed. When the trumpet sounds, it's giving heaven's signal, declaring that the time has come, the time that the saints have longed for, the time for the perishable to become imperishable. Verse 54, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and a mortal with, the immort with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? He's quoting Isaiah 25. Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Quoting Hosea 13, 14. The sting of death, Paul says, is what? Sin, and the power of sin is the law. Paul isn't putting down the law. He's just saying that's the law that lets us know what sin is, right? When you've done it, the law will let you know when you've done it. Verse 57, but. 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 Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Woo! Nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know, in light of what our future is, you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Right. Having revealed the mystery of what will happen to living believers when the Lord returns, Paul immediately sounds the signal of victory. The greatest enemies of humanity are defeated. Those enemies being sin and death. These two things that are bent on destruction currently wreak havoc over our mortal lives of flesh and blood, but on that day, <laughs> when the trumpet sounds, God will deal a final blow 
to both sin and death. When our perishable mortal bodies are transformed into imperishable, yeah. immortal bodies no longer capable of sin, yeah. suffering, or corruption. Oh my, that sounds like something worth fighting for, worth standing firm for, worth denying myself for. Do you agree? Church, there will be a day when we never again will grieve the loss of a loved one. Never again will we worry about terminal diseases. Never again will we cope with the frailties of old age. Just gets better and better, doesn't it? Never again will we plan funerals, execute wills, and worry about the loved ones that we may leave behind. Never again will we need to nurse the lingering emptiness and grief that we feel when a spouse, a child, or a parent is taken from us by the enemy that we call death. On that day, death's sting will be permanently gone. What an amazing promise. Oh, what Jesus has provided for us. A little girl was having a picnic with her daddy. She was severely allergic to bee stings. And she became terrified as a bumblebee showed up and was buzzing overhead. Seeing the bee, her father caught it and he held it in his hands for a few moments. Before. Daddy, daddy! Why did you let the bee go? Rather than explain, the father just simply opened his hand and he showed his little daughter the stinger in the palm of his hand. You guys, that is exactly, that is precisely what Jesus did for us when he absorbed the sting of our sin and our stupidity, our thinking we know better on the cross. And although presently we are free to be who we are, just an earthy, clay, cracked piece of pottery, <laughs> I know someday we will be much more. Someday we'll bear the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ fully in a body that is custom made for eternity. What a forever happy day that will be. Amen. Well, Lord, we come before you this evening and we want to say thank you for your word, for the truth that it contains, 
for the way that it strengthens us, encourages us, comforts us, and convicts us to move closer and closer to you, to find ourselves loving you more and others more, and this world less and less. Keeping in mind of what you have done for us, what you have accomplished for us on the cross. Yes, eternal life. Yes, forgiveness. But that would include abundant life now and eternal life in the hereafter. For while some have a hard time believing in resurrection, you proved that it's true because the grave is empty. You're no longer in the tomb. You are alive. And because you are, so will we. And we in, with you in eternity. In bodies suited for eternal life in your presence. I pray, God, that you planted in our hearts to live in such a way worthy of what you have done for us. Something worth fighting for. Something worth standing for. Something worth denying ourselves for. And it's you, Jesus. It's always been you may it truly be even more in these days. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up, lift up.